I think it's ripe for someone to come in and say, let's try this. It, you know what? It might not work, but let's, let's try this. Let's try to put a little bit more of a humanistic lens. Let's just try to put a little bit more investment into our B2B brand um, and put at risk some of our margins for a little bit to see if we can make it work. Because again, oftentimes, um, and this, you know, obviously my data set is limited to the companies that we've been able to see the internal workings of, but the majority of companies that we've worked with that um, operate both a B2B and a B2C brand, the B2B brand was by far the biggest revenue generator. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So what's going on? Still craving that sandwich. So. I'm going to find you a way to send some rolls from here <laughs> out there. Find a way if I can get them overnight. All right. Well, after this, I'm going to go to the, the grocery store to see if I can maybe get lucky with something that will at least hold me over. So Nice. Nice. We shall see. We shall see. But they've been out of the... Um, I, I, I don't know, like this whole uh, logistics thing where stuff is out. And, you know, in the at the beginning of the pandemic, it was all like these household items you would expect to be slammed. So like, what was it, like tuna fish and ramen noodles and toilet paper? And it, you couldn't find it anywhere. Now yeah. the grocery stores are fully stocked, but then it's just like random items would just not be there. And it's odd. And the one in the deli is the gabagool. Like they haven't oh, really? had it for two months and it's really frustrating to me. And I keep asking them like, what is going on with this? Like, yeah, we have others. We have, you know, we have, we have other meats. We have salami, we have pepperoni, we have. Yeah. It's weird that it's that know, one because I haven't noticed that around here. It's gotta be something with this specific grocery store and the distributor they use. It's, it's boar's head, which is a huge producer. So it's not like. I imagine it's a producer problem. Anyway, that's that. I got sandwich on the mind. I need a sandwich. Yep. And we're kicking off talking about food again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I blame I blame I blame Randy because I think he he posted yesterday on his Twitter account about this sandwich. Um, like that is what I want. That's the roll. That's the sandwich. That's what I need, and I can't get it, and I'm incredibly <laughs> frustrated. So I don't know. Blame it on Randy. Yeah, blame it on Randy. And the yes. fact that I don't live on the East Coast. I don't have access to the uh, delis that you guys do. So I hope you feel, I hope you realize that you're fortunate in that aspect. I do. I okay. totally do. Good. Good. Because I miss it. I want it. Anyway. So yeah, food. It's because we sh- it's because we record around lunchtime. That's exactly it. <laughs> That's so, exactly it. It's always on my mind, you know. 
yeah like i I, right after this i'm going to go get some lunch uh before a series of meetings to you know through the rest of the day yeah um and then tonight we're taking the kiddo to his first hockey game oh nice Uh, buddy of mine called me yesterday and he's like tomorrow night yeah what are you where do you suzanne jp doing and i'm like i don't think we have anything planned he's like subcontractor of mine's got box seats so if you want to go yeah that's awesome yeah so we're we we got box seats tonight is it an nhl game it's an nhl game yeah flyers toronto maple leafs tonight that is awesome i've never i've never been to an nhl game um although growing up i went to a lot of what what's the league so it's like the utah grizzlies it's like they're, a, they're in the echl it's like a minor league well it's not minor league but it is okay. it's two steps below the nhl so the okay. echl you know depending upon where you're coming in from juniors or college if you get signed to the echl you know, like you, you need some more development work before they feed you into the AHL, which then ultimately feeds into the NHL. Got it. Yeah, those were fun. And I caught a puck at one of them. I wish I knew where that puck was at this point. I think it was after Summit 2011. Randy and I hung around town for a couple of days and we went to a Utah Grizzlies game. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah, they're fun. They are. They're a good time. So, yeah, but that's cool. I've never been to an NHL game, although I went to three or four um high high level olympic uh hockey games when the 2002 olympics were in utah so i saw finland i saw russia i saw czech republic um a couple other teams and so literally like all the amazing superstar talent in one place that was awesome yeah that that had to be awesome yeah it was fun so there you go. I also went to, that was when I was introduced to curling, which I had then since fallen in love with. I've never played it, but man, I enjoy watching it for some reason. It is so, I don't know. I like the analytical nature of it, but it's also just so, it's probably the same re- reason why I like long form cricket. It just feels so relaxing to sit there and watch it for a couple hours. It's not, you know, it's a slow enough pace and just kind of chill. And I'm like, and there's a bit of strategy to it. There's a, there's a lot of strategy to it, yeah. So I enjoy it. I enjoy it. So there you go. Food yeah. and hockey and... F- food, hockey, sports. Yeah, I think it, yeah. You know, those are all the, the major things. The critical things to get through. Yeah, the, the, the important things of this podcast. What people want to hear about what we're <laughs> eating and... The, hard, the hard-hitting facts there. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, so, so digging into our topic this week, we'll just ju- dive right into it. No smooth transition or segue. Um, I want to continue our conversation that we started last week around B2B versus B2C. And last week, we, we, it, it was more of an introductory conversation. We were talking about the differences um, between, between the two. Um, and we started to get into today's topic a bit, but today I really want to dive deep into what are some mistakes that organizations make when it comes to to b2b um you know are there things that companies assume or fail to consider with b2b and to kind of kick us off and to keep the conversation going from last week you know there was like twice last week you had mentioned the buyer profile mm-hmm. that is is a major difference that sometimes people fail to consider yeah with b2c the buyer is the user with B2B. The buyer is not the user. 
yeah. there there's someone in procurement or technology that's there to acquire you know whatever it is for use for for you know employees of of, of the company so what are you know like, let, let's what more can we kind of extrapolate from that conversation around around the buyer profile but then what are some other things that the companies often fail to to consider if they say have a b2c side and were a b2 and a b2b side and and whatnot yeah um i that that buyer persona is is such a big one and i don't want to necessarily go down the path of talking about some of the other other components but all you have to do is go to a B2B website for any company that doesn't have a B2C sister brand and just look at how, like, is this 1998 Netscape Navigator on dial up through AOL? Like, it feels like that, you know, like these sites are, there's, there's not a lot of thought in put into the design, into the user experience. It's very cold and operational and it's it's there just to like facilitate getting this job done and to your point it's because it's like okay well this person is is someone from procurement there's someone from administration they're just coming here we just need to make it easy for them to place an order they're in they're out that's it i i mean but i think it's it's such a huge missed opportunity to provide a nicer user experience um to increase lifetime value, to increase cart value, you know, just because just because I'm sent out on a, an errand to purchase a certain thing doesn't mean that I'm also not susceptible to um, to suggestions, to to last minute purchases. To oh, you know, I know I came here to get a bunch of hanging files for the boss's office, but I, we really, really need a bunch of uh, I don't know filters for our coffee machine in the break room. Um, it, you know, it's, it's just a huge missed opportunity to look at it as this cold and sterile environment that is just facilitating this predetermined transaction. And there's a lot of opportunities to take learnings from the, the B2C side and deploy it in a B2B side to increase the checkout value and increase the overall lifetime value of customers. So, you know what I just thought of as you were talking there, have you ever seen them? like the really thick office catalogs. Oh yeah. Like, like I office get, basics. There's one, one called like Uline or something. I think. Is oh the, yeah. I yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I have some on my, sh on my shelves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. They, they, they just look up addresses for any kind of, yeah. of company and whether it's a residential one. Cause I've gotten that sent here a couple of times. Um, just because the people own the house before we did, when they they had rented it out, they set it up as an LLC. Mm. So every now and then the U, U every now and then the U line catalog shows up at the door. That's awesome. <laughs> That's but awesome. you know what? You, you make you bring up a good point because you know, like that is the analog version of your typical B two B site, where you just look through categories and it's just stuff that you're going to to check off. There's there there's no like enticing or cross-selling or or anything like that it's just like here you go pick what you need and tell us the quantity yep that's that's it and it's it's been done forever every time 
it's been it's been done forever um and again it's it works and it's sustainable and it's predictable but huge missed opportunity i mean so here's here's a question is is the online b2b sales and honestly like right now i i have in mind either like office supplies or or technology retailers those are the ones i have in mind right now as we're talking um they, they're the ones that often have the b2c side and then the b2b sister yeah. site yeah i i mean like th- it feels then that like that that's ripe for for disruption for sure yeah i mean i think again like just putting a little bit of thought into the experience, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know, who the buyer is. We all are humans. And and this is a huge problem in the world of business, right? Like we, we often talk about that our buyer is not a company. Our buyer is a person. And that's kind of the perspective we take to put a more humanistic lens on it. But it's true of every B2B company. And it's it's it seems so simple. Yeah, so few do it. And it's such a subtle shift that someone coming in saying, I'm going to shake this up and we're not going to do anything crazy. We're simply going to recognize our buyer as a person instead of an entity completely changes the game completely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the, that's the big one that, that sticks out there, but you, we've kind of alluded, you know, you brought up B2C. That's, that's also a, a huge driver and something that we see companies miss um, is that, and it's a weird one to me. We talked about this a little bit on the last podcast is that oftentimes these B2B brands um, drive more revenue than the B2C brands, smaller volumes, but much higher revenue. Um, and, but they're often kind of, put down in the basement. It's like, you know, you guys just sit there and you'll get the leftovers. Like whatever we do in, on the consumer side, you guys can, you know, copy that. And, you know, that's what, what you'll do. And of course your staff will be, you know, 20 times or 50 times or a hundred times smaller, um, but you'll figure it out. And it's again, at this huge missed opportunity to look at it as um, just replicating what we do on the consumer side. Sure. We should replicate the humanistic portion of it that our buyer is a person um but just to say well this works on consumer and so it's going to work on business is a is a massive miss because while it's a person it's a completely different persona different profile different you know they have different agendas and so to try to apply what we do in in um in the b2c world to a b2b sister site is is leaving huge opportunity on the table so to, to, to flip it around, because the, the tone that we've had so far in our discussion last week and so far this week has been, you know, the, you know, B2C first, B2B second. And I'm thinking of a conversation I had earlier today that's given me a different perspective and one that's worth talking about is B2B first, B2C second. So say a company that has primarily a B2B offering, but maybe is thinking about what if we sell directly to consumers? You know, they, they recognize what you were just talking about in that it's the B2B customer that is their bread and butter. But, you know, if they're going to try to get into 
selling directly to to consumers like it's um what do i want to say sorry a text message just popped up let me turn my phone over um like what could they be possibly not considering when going to the consumer and trying to avoid what we already talked about like the buyer persona being different that that's a given like are there things that maybe they take for granted from their b2b customers that they're not going to see from their b2c I mean, loyalty is a huge one um, because, you know, when we, we work in a B2B world and for right or wrong, once you have a relationship established, it's so incredibly costly to stop that relationship and start a new one. Mm -hmm. And and by that, I mean, like just getting the infrastructure set up for two entities to buy from each other is incredibly complicated agreements and back-end processes and making sh things sure all these things are aligned and mapping out POs and it's it's complicated and so once that work has been done and and this is I think also why it um, we see a lack of innovation in the b2b space is that once that work has been done to acquire and onboard a customer unless things are horrifically bad, they don't want to leave because the startup cost of going somewhere else is so incredibly high. And so oftentimes as a supplier, as, the, as a seller, you take that buyer for granted because you, you know, you've won them, you've, you've gone through the process of onboarding them and you know the pain that they're going to feel to try to go to another supplier. It's, it's massive. And so we kind of take that for granted and say, well, they're in, you know, let's just like not massively screw it up and they'll stick around. That's not true so much on the B2C side. I'm sure there's some more hiring products where you invest heavily and, you know, making a switch may be difficult, but B2C buyers are finical, finical, finicky. Um, you know, they will fickle. switch. That's fickle. Another good word. fickle is a good word. They will switch on a dime and there's very often very, very little, if any, cost associated with with switching suppliers with switching brands that you buy from and so that's why there's so much attention on the consumer side is that we have to constantly win that business and keep them happy not so much so on the b2c side i mean yeah smart businesses are doing it. and ultimately if you're not re-winning the business and keeping them happy they're going to leave but it's a much much longer time frame when compared to consumer side now to flip the question back uh, around again, talking about loyalty. Um, I mean, I'm assuming then that, that sometimes like with B2C sometimes kind of being secondary, uh, or I'm sorry, B2B being secondary within, within a, a business, you know, the, the idea of, of loyalty, you know, is that often something that's not, or no, not loyalty, sorry. I, I said loyalty, but what I'm actually talking about is like all of the, the, the processes and procedures, it leans into what you were talking about with loyalty because, you know, all of the stuff that takes the time, the legal agreements, all of those things for two businesses to transact. Um, have you seen it with companies where they're B2C first that they have underestimated the amount of paperwork and back and forth just to enable those transactions. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it a lot. And and if if you've never done it, then you're using the only lens that you know that between a business and a consumer, it's a fairly easy transaction. So we so we assume that it's going to be like that with with every type of transaction. And oftentimes that's where where companies get a bit. Uh, I don't know what they say out east uh, over their skis um, a bit over overextended over their experience in over their head in over their head. Um, because yeah, I mean these, these things while there, while there are similarities and there are, are parallels, they, they really are completely different learning paths and it takes a level of experience and expertise to craft the right level of customer experiences in each of those different verticals. Um, with that said, I think it's also important to learn from, others as well. This is a little bit off topic, but one of the questions that I often get asked in the sales process is, um, do you specialize in a specific industry or are you kind of vertical agnostic or industry agnostic? And there are companies that are primarily looking for someone to say, hey, we want to go with an agency that their expertise is in automotive. Everything they do, think, drink, breathe is automotive. And while I get that, and while I think it is critically important to have deep experience and understanding in the vertical you're working in, whether that's automotive or travel tourism or retail or B2B or lead gen or content, you're publishing, fill in the blank, it's important to have uh, vertical level expertise and experience. Um, it shouldn't be done at the cost of learning things from from other industries. And I think there's a huge opportunity to learn from what other industries are doing and especially B2C, B2B. Again, I think both of those, there's a lot of ways that you can think about um, and can inform from. So from a B2B perspective, they have a lot that they can teach their B2C counterparts on um, playing the long game and investing in growing uh, customer relationships over time and investing in in kind of larger purchases and ticket items. On the B2C side, the B2C folks have a lot that they can teach their B2B counterparts on the importance of experience and in making it something that's just not a cold, sterile corporate transaction, but a more humanistic transaction. And if you block that out and say, no, 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 this is the industry, this is the vertical we're in, and that's how we have to think about things, I think you really miss out on an opportunity from learning a lot of really valuable lessons from industries that you don't work directly in. See, like, I, I, I have this question on the tip of my tongue, and I kind of already know where it's going to take us because I keep, you know, I keep wanting to ask why. Why, 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 why do companies, when it comes to B2B, operate that way? And honestly, I, I keep coming back to the answer, and I don't want us to be redundant in that it's it's because it's secondary. They they think of it as as an afterthought. You know, B to B to C is typically seen as as the sexier business to be in. You know, involved in. It's the one that it's you know you get all of the cool toys. And I'm thinking from the perspective of 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 like retail sales well not, not re well retail's not the word to use but like product sales you know in in b2b to c consumer retail you get all the the cool fun toys to play with whereas b2b it's not so that's why people just think of it as secondary they don't want to to necessarily prioritize it and 
they kind of miss the opportunity and the challenge. Yeah. And, and again, I think a big driver for that is that those things are seen as unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen this in, in B2B clients that we've worked with uh, over the years. And that is that, um, again, if you view it as this very sterile transaction between two businesses, and you present those um, business leaders with, well, let's let's invest in a personalization tool or let's invest more deeply, excuse me, in analytics so we understand better what our buyers are doing. You're, you're hitting a brick wall because they've already convinced themselves that those things are simply unnecessary. Um, it's un- why, why, why do we need to personalize our site? Why do we need to learn more about our buyers? Like these guys have to come by from us. You know, they've been buying, they've been buying their crappy one pot ply toilet paper for, from us for the last 60 years and nothing is going to change tomorrow. So it, it makes no sense for us to personalize the experience to us to do A-B testing or invest in an analytics team to better understand what they're doing. They're telling us what they need. There's the PO for what they're going to buy. And so they've, they've convinced themselves that there's no value to it. And so instantly it puts these B2B programs in a very difficult spot. And programs that we've worked with that have had analytics um, and have had um, tools to provide a better experience, rarely are those the decisions of the B2B teams. They're often a, well, our B2C brands are using it. They've got some extra you know, usage. You guys can go ahead and use it if you want. You know, kind of like the hand-me-down, like you're the, you're the third or fourth child. It's like, eh we've kind of done this, you know, I know you have your own specific needs, but we've got closet full of clothes. Just go find something that may work for you. Like, mm-hmm. but, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm way too big. I don't even fit in these clothes. Now I'm walking around like this. I'm like, yeah, that's what we got, you know, make it work. Um, and, you know, oftentimes it just, it doesn't work and it, it doesn't work very well at, at all. And I think, you know, it's a, again, it's a, it's a huge driver that they don't see value in it. But the reality is, is that it doesn't matter what process you're trying to optimize. There's always value in a collecting data and analyzing the process to find out where you have opportunities to create a more efficient process and B from that learning, testing new ways of doing things to create a better uh, and more efficient experience. Um, and, and, and I think for me, a big part of that philosophy or thinking about things came from personal observation and experience which um, we haven't really talked a lot about. But um, before I even knew what analytics was or that this is what I wanted to do, I spent a lot of time studying it and researching it because I found it so fascinating um, in that my grandpa worked for U.S. Steel um, in a steel mill um, here in Utah. And he was, I think his title was industrial engineer. Uh, And what he did with, a yellow pad of paper and a pencil and an old beat up machine that had some kind of, I think Lotus one, two, three, some kind of old spreadsheet program. He would go around and he would capture data on the production line. You know, how, you know, what does the production look like from when you put the raw material into the vat, you heat it up, you, you know, scoop off the slag off the top, you put in all the materials, you pour it out, you, you roll it out into uh, in the mill into a longer sheet of still you. So like he would capture timings and quality and all this stuff on the still mill production. 
he'd plop it into a spreadsheet and he would analyze the efficiency of different parts of the process. And I'm, and, and that really stuck with me, literally being inside the still mill, watching this happen. And then going back to the office and seeing all this data pour in like, this is, this is so mesmerizing. And it became almost a sickness where everywhere I went, whether it was going into a restaurant and ordering food or trying to check out in the grocery store, that mental image of the still mill just burned into my brain of like, you can do that so much better. You can create this process so it's so much more enjoyable. Like I started seeing that in every aspect of the world. That is a really cool story. I hadn't heard you tell that one before. Yeah, it was super cool to see. And I was at the time probably junior high age uh, when I started to really get exposure to the steel mill and kind of be able to shadow him and see what he was doing. And it did. I mean, it left a huge impression on me. Have you ever, did you ever watch The Office? Yeah, I wasn't a, uh, I wasn't a person that has seen it end to end, but I'm more of a person of, if there's an episode on, I probably watched it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I loved the first, the first few seasons. Um, you know, I, I thought, you know, they, they, they were great. And kind of, as we've been talking about, um, B2B versus B2C, I, I had, especially when you mentioned like the, you know, these people have always come and bought their, their two ply toilet paper from us. I had visions of, of that TV show of them trying to sell paper and, you know, competing with, you know, office max and staples and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. It's a, it's a great parallel and a great visual for what it's, yeah. for what it's actually like a lot of times. So and yeah. Kind of, yeah. Because like, you know, we've been talking about it, you know, we, we, we think of B2C, B2B online sales is like this cold transaction this very boring site and one of the things with the show, especially the early seasons, it was, you know, when, when they actually showed them doing work, it was them trying to build a relationship with those customers with a very, very boring product. Yeah. You know, a <laughs> That's boring right. product. It's paper. It's paper. <laughs> Who do you get your paper we, from? <laughs> it's paper. We have one ply. We have two ply. It's paper. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but can be incredibly, incredibly, it, it isn't as dull and as boring as you think it is, right? And again, yeah. like, once you start pulling it apart, there's so much, and I guess that's why the show can be so entertaining. And this is a complete side note. One of my favorite episodes is when they're doing parkour in the office. Yes, that is a funny one. <laughs> parkour! 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 <laughs> well, I mean, and then there was the episode where someone put a dirty watermark on like several hundred reams of paper. Uh, I don't think I saw that one. Yeah. And the, it goes, cause the quality assurance guy was like, like the, the office slacker. Mm-hmm. Or like <laughs> slacker is not even the word to describe him, but you know, he was the one who constantly slacked off at his job. Yeah. And um, yeah, of course I, he goes into defense mode trying to find someone to blame. Um but yeah, it's like you, know, you have all of them calling their clients to apologize for the dirty watermark. Uh, so good. It was so a good show. Good. Yeah. It was such a good show. So, I mean, and, take that take that parallel. The B2B doesn't have to be 
cold and boring. <laughs> you know, there's some there's some entertainment value there. Yeah. Um, and that that was always one of the funny things I found about about that show was, yeah, you know, like a boring office with a boring product, and the whole style of the show was documented. Yeah, you know, yeah. documented. Was yeah. you know the the the, the crew was, was there filming a documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Really well done. Yeah. Really good. All right. Um. So what else? Like, what else could we be missing? You know, what are things that what, what could we be missing that companies typically miss when when it comes to BUC? Again, we are, we're looking at it through the lens of of online transactions of of some kind of of website. Um, is there anything that we're missing or, or is it like we're starting to beat a dead horse at this point? No, I mean, I with... think, I think we hit on the two most important aspects of it. Um, you know, one, one being, um, looking at it as a non humanistic, buying experience. Um, and two, the dangers of trying to apply what we know in B2C directly to B2B. I mean, really it comes down to, to those um, two two aspects, and again, I think um, I think it's ripe for someone to come in and say, "Let's try this." It, you know what? It might not work, but let's let's try this. Let's try to put a little bit more of a humanistic lens. Let's just try to put a little bit more investment into our B two B brand um, and put at risk some of our margins for a little bit to see if we can make it work. Because again, oftentimes. Um, and this, you know, obviously my data set is limited to the companies that we've been able to see the internal workings of, but the majority of companies that we've worked with that um, operate both a B2B and a B2C brand, the B2B brand was by far the biggest revenue generator, but by far was given the least amount of budget and people resources to invest in the process. Again, it's like, it's a machine, you know, just it's a machine, have a couple of people, make sure the machine doesn't break it down and let it go. But I think at some point in time, that mentality breaks down. And I'm sure that there's all sorts of all sorts of things that we can look at as examples of where that breaks down, whether it's the assembly line, you know, if we take that mentality, it's just a machine, just let it go. It's like, okay, but someone's going to innovate and make this better and more productive, and we're going to lose to them. Um, last night, I was watching... Um, I, I talked on our internal meeting yesterday that I'm such a, a, an aviation geek. Last night I was watching this flight from Paris to JFK um, inside the cockpit and the, the pilots were kind of doing commentary of the whole process. And it was like a, an hour and four, it was this, the flight was compressed to an hour and 45 minutes, but it was very fascinating. And one of the things that really stood out to me was once they got on the ground. So um, just quick backstory. When I first had my exposure to flight was through my dad and his small plane and old school, um, analog controls. Everything was an these analog controls. Now most pilots fly with what they call a glass cockpit, air glass cockpit. It's fly by wire. Everything is computerized and touch screens. Um, anyway, they were talking through how it's made their job so much more efficient that they literally don't have to carry these briefcases of manuals and all this stuff because it's programmed right into the plane. But it was all these other little niceties that I had never seen before. They landed and the pilot says, uh, landing cameras on. 
And I'm like, wait, does he have cameras for this documentary they're making? No, it's literally part of their landing procedures. They have cameras that point at the gears that point outside so they don't hit other planes that help guide them into where they're parking. And it's right on their dash, like a backup camera on your car. And I'm like, this is so amazing. But this never would have happened if everyone said, well, it's this machine. Like it's a plane. It just flies. You're just just make sure it doesn't break down. It's like, well, someone's going to come in and build this different, make it more efficient, make it a more enjoyable experience, and they're going to win. And I think that that's what B2B companies um, need to be real, especially B2B companies that have a sister B2C brand that operates in the same division need to be really, really careful. Yeah, it's working now and it's worked this way for 20 years, but you're you're literally asking to be attacked because someone is going to come in and change this from analog to digital. Someone is going to come in and think about making this a better experience and they're going to unseat you and they're going to win. And that's going to be a scary day for a lot of these companies that they could have saw, saw coming for decades and chose, you know, it's going to be one of those blockbuster moments. Like you can see this happening, yet you're failing to make any decisions to change it. Mm-hmm. So um, one question to close us out. And yeah. I would like, you know, take your your biases out of this. You know, are there B2B customers that are looking for more than just the robotic black and white transaction? You 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 send me a catalog or you post your catalog, I go in and tick off the items I want, we're done. Every single one of them to a certain degree, yes, because they're humans. Unless you have a computer ordering for you. I mean, e- even if it's just a role and they're not they're not emotionally involved at all in the process, they're still a human and they still want to have a meaningful experience. Now, it's on a spectrum. There may be there may be some that operate more robotically and are like, look, I just want to get this done as quick as I can so I can go home and lay on the couch and watch reruns of Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. But every single one of them is a human, is a person. And and everybody at some level has some expectation for having an enjoyable experience in, in what they do. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it matters. I think for sure, understanding the persona of your buyers and that's where the data comes in uh, as very valuable will help dictate what depth and level that experience your buyers are expecting. But if it's a Boolean, do they expect a personal custom experience versus not a hundred percent of the time the answer is yes because they're humans and that's what humans want whether they're whether they're willing to admit it or not that's what they want that's what we want cool well i mean and that's kind of it dawned on me as, as you were talking a little while ago it's like but do they want it and that's why i wanted to to ask so yep they want it they just may not admit it mm-hmm. cool all right. Well, I think that's a good spot to, to, to wrap up on for, for now. We're going to continue this topic um, in, in a, you know, take a few other different looks at it, really getting into the analytics in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. So for the listeners, this is, there, there is a plan for this. We're going to get to, <laughs> to, to, to more, you know, we've talked, you know, we started with the 30,000 foot view. We're starting to zoom in a bit more. So you know, we're going to start to talk about analytics and analyst role when it comes to awesome. to this. So, but for now, we'll go ahead and wrap up and talk to everybody later. See you.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.